Welcome to Through a Handler's Eyes. I'm Jo Hilda and I'll be interviewing assistance dog handlers Australia-wide. We won't be discussing legalities or training methods, just the journey of the human and their dog. Hi, today we're going to be talking to Ariza. She's a bit different to our normal assistance dogs handlers. She had a dog called Daryl that she rescued and was hoping for Daryl to be her assistance dog. Unfortunately, that's not the case. So we're going to talk about that part of her journey. So how are you today, Ariza? Hey, Joe. I'm, I'm doing pretty well and uh, I'm quite happy to be on this podcast. And I must say I uh, enjoyed listening to all the previous ones. I think there's a lot learned uh, from every single person that you've had on. And I want to say thank you for those guys because uh, it does sometimes for some people take a lot to open up about their uh, failures, um, successes and what they find uncomfortable. Absolutely. Thank you very much for that. Now, was Daryl your first assistance dog? Yes, yes. Daryl was my first assistance dog, uh, owner trained uh, as well. And uh, I was volunteering for a organisation who offered some support and help. Um, they're fairly new to train him as my own dog for PTSD. Um, yeah, but... Uh, <laughs> I mean, sometimes dogs just don't have it and sometimes dogs have certain things that you don't want to destroy, which is what's uh, happened to Daryl. And uh, one of the things that I found with Mr. Daryl is he's an exceptionally social dog with other dogs and he's really good bringing dogs out of their comfort zones. He's good with dogs who are uncomfortable and things like that. And once I started to suppress that natural talent when we're working I saw that it created a lot of stress for him and at the end of the day I decided I'm not going to destroy this dog's fabulous personality to get what I want um, but the second yeah. thing he had a problem with was a bit of resource guarding with some with dogs not humans but it's it wasn't frequent but he's, he's a he's a very tall dog and um, he can come across as very scary and I know that for me, I would think an assistance dog shouldn't have that in them, and um, I didn't want to take that risk. And um, I don't, I don't want it. I didn't want to put in the amount of work it was going to take to address that because that puts a lot of stress on me as the handler. Um, so I decided, you know what? Let's give Daryl to a family who's going to love and appreciate him. He's going to make a wonderful pet. Um, they're going to learn how to manage him and things like that in terms of his resource guarding, uh, teaching him, you know, faith and handler and stuff like that. And you know what? He is doing amazing. That's wonderful. Now, you told me he doesn't have an official job, but he does do something. What's he doing now? Okay, so Daryl was adopted by uh, one of my personal trainers, uh, friends at my gym called Kaz. And this particular gym is fabulous for it creates a, it's a very supportive and community environment for people with uh, mental, shall I say, problems and struggle to get into fitness. So what Daryl's been doing, he's now been dubbed the official mascot of the gym. And what happens is he actually makes people feel very comfortable coming to do personal training, coming to do uh, little group classes. And Kaz has told me and she said, you know what, people walk in, they look around and they go, where's Daryl? And she goes, hi, I'm well too. Thank you for asking. 
So yeah. he's not an official therapy dog or anything, but he's really creating comfort for people, especially when they struggle. I've watched him in the gym when people kind of go, oh, I can't do this, and they lay down and they take a breath. Daryl actually runs over to them. And, I mean, obviously it's not um, – you could say he's checking in with them really, and he just provides yeah. comfort because he loves cuddles. Sometimes they play with him, which obviously he loves too, and they just – you can see how they get that – I don't know, serotonin look and they, they just decompress from life and stress and they just get back into it. So he's been a fabulous addition not only to the gym but to their family as well. Well, that's wonderful. He's the, There is a saying that if you don't give a dog a job, he'll find his own and luckily Daryl's found a job that's not destructive, it's absolutely. helpful, which is really good. Mm, absolutely. So how did you feel after you made that decision? Well, I think the biggest thing was, um, so I have a second dog named Ziva and, you know, we have our little pack and Ziva was a little bit stressed because she was like, where's Daryl? But I think two days in she was like, oh, cool, I've got the house to myself. Personally, um, I don't now have that little guy who's helped, you know, I don't have Daryl anymore helping me during nightmares um, and when I disassociate and I pick scabs and, you know, rip, um, like, skin off my feet and stuff. So I now have to train Ziva to be my Triple H, which is my my home helper hound uh, to kind of help me out with that. And, yeah, she's not doing too bad, um, but she's not a sister's dog material. I, I just want to throw it out there. She's, no, a, she's not, a, <laughs> not a public access type dog. Oh, no, she's a Dutch Shepherd cross Belgium Shepherd and she's extremely easily stimulated by movement. So she will not be – don't get me wrong, she's fine in terms of chilling out, but, boy, she's busy. Um, she's, she's just not busy in the right stuff. So um, I felt a little bit, dis- how do I say, disconnected and um, I really enjoyed the training with Daryl. So it didn't take me very long, actually, uh, to – I'm fostering a puppy at the moment. His name's Jimmy, and I'm now training Jimmy. And I've actually found that the actual training of dogs and raising puppies and things is what I'm really finding enjoyable, which helps me decompress from life. So I've spoken to my uh, allied professionals, and we've decided that if I keep doing this and fostering puppies for a rescue and – helping and educating people with that, that I uh, possibly don't need an assistance dog anymore. Oh, well, that'd be great. And and you're okay going out in public without that support? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I'm pretty good at it now. Um, if I feel bad and not capable, I actually arrange my appointments and times in a way that I don't have to be put into that situation. So, um I now have those managing techniques. Um, but, um, I mean, we'll see how we go. You know, maybe later in life, maybe there's a period of time where I'm going to need that help and I'll cross that bridge when I get there. In the meantime, I'm going to uh, practice my skills and helping other people with their dogs and, you know, if they need dogs trained in their home to help or later on doing some assistance dog stuff. And therapy dogs um, I'm currently busy with as well. I'll be so much more rehearsed and better in it as well. So uh, at the moment I don't need an assistance dog, but you never know. No, you've got you've got all that puppy wonderfulness. And sometimes you just need something to get out of your own head and, and to be concerned about, hey? Mm, absolutely. Um, so 
this is really going to be a nice short interview because um, you didn't haven't got Daryl anymore. But do you, when you came to the conclusion that you weren't going to get another assistance dog, what sort of thought process went through your mind, not just your allied health professionals, but yourself? Mm, you're going to have to explain that question to me. I don't quite understand what you mean. Well, I mean, you knew you had to get rid of, like, give Daryl to someone uh, who was better suited for him. Then when you sat back and thought, well, do I need to get another assistance dog or not? How did you, in your own mind, um, come to that conclusion? Even though you had advice from your allied health professionals, you still had to make that final choice. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's two parts to that question, actually. The first one is um, letting go of Daryl. Uh, so I have been raising puppies for since 2010 and then they move on. So I don't actually have that emotional connection in terms of, of that. And um, I've also been recently diagnosed as high-functioning autistic, which makes sense why I don't always have that emotional connection to people and thing, uh, not things, but dogs and friends and stuff like that immediately. So um, mm. I always had the idea because dog Daryl actually belonged to this organization, but he was my dog, that he wasn't mine. And I he would be, even though the previous dogs weren't assistance dogs, they were working dogs, they also belonged to companies, but they were my personal working dogs. So it's quite a different um, set up with Ziva. I got Ziva for me. So Ziva is completely different. If I had to get rid of Ziva, that would be an emotional thing. The second part is when I was sitting down and I went through all these diagnoses and I went through all the reports and all that sort of stuff. And I, I really, I was like, look, you need to be very realistic in what it is that you want. What, what is it that you need that's going to help you? And essentially I came to the conclusion I need people to help keep me accountable. So that's why I've got things like personal trainers and my psychologist and all that. But then I need a coach that can yeah. help me in social aspects. So being a high-functioning autistic, life now makes sense why I got in trouble because I, could, I, I can't yeah. read social cues and situations and unwritten rules and between the lines and all that stuff. And to be honest – a dog's not going to help me with that. A dog's not going to help me improve in that regard with that skill. A dog will only be able to support me when I'm that stressed and help me back to then be capable of, um, you know, meeting those requirements. So I've never yeah. had a problem with failure. Um, I, I think you learn more in failure than you do in uh, success. But success is nice Absolutely. because it, it keeps encouraging you to do the right stuff. But a, a dog can't really help me navigate social situations. A dog can't help me make decisions or I can't I can't talk to dogs either. I and, and that's one thing I didn't realize me as an autistic. If you take a pen and you go, hey, this let's pretend this is an aeroplane, I'm like, you're an idiot. <laughs> it's a pen. So I, I don't talk yeah. to dogs like some people do and I understand their need for it and I have no problem with that at all. But I can't talk to Daryl and discuss problems with him or Ziva. It's weird for me. I, don't, I, I, can't, I can't do it. So I thought yeah. to myself, if you justify it, do you really need an assistance dog? And I also looked at the aspect of 
shall I say, the cons of having an assistance dog. And I thought, no, no, I don't. So I came to that decision of, no, I, I don't. It's, the assistance dog is not going to be the right tool for me. And to be honest, I find it to be, it'll be disrespectful to people who actually need an assistance dog to go, yeah, but I just want one. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you you went through that thought process because some people um, just decide I want one and don't, apart from the, the legal um, research and stuff, they don't research what an impact in other areas of their life having an assistance dog will have. Um, and I don't think people realise that it does have a very big impact for some people. Absolutely. So. There's a quote from a guy called Dr. Kelly Starrett, and he always says, um, the quality of your expectations will dictate the quality of your actions. And essentially what it means, it does talk about, or, or how I see it is, if you have a goal and you're aiming very high and you have to go through a lot to get it, you will. But if you go, oh, I just want an assistance dog, and you're starting to hit these uh, obstacles and challenges, you might find that you won't do it. And one yeah. thing, one thing that I'm very, very high on is the welfare of the dog as well. And sometimes, yes, absolutely. And sometimes people don't realize that that when you have an assistance dog, it is also a partnership and you have to be aware of the welfare of the dog. If you're just going into the, it with being extremely selfish and you're not needy, you're not meeting the dog's needs. And remember, assistance dog is a dog first and a dog is a predator. Yes. So if you're not meeting yeah. this big predator's needs, and you're helping, not helping them decompress from stress because he's got stress of life and then stress of the job, you know, um, yeah. you might find that uh, you're going to have a big problem. And, and maintenance of the assistance dogs, not just their actual skills, but also, you know, grooming is one thing and their health. I mean, good, you've got to make sure that dog is not a health hazard to others. So if you That's right. if you start to look at the the hard work, the sacrifices, the time, the effort you have to put into the dog, and you go, you know what, this isn't worth it. Don't do it because you are going to no. do more damage and harm, not just to yourself and the dog, but to the industry as well. That's right. Absolutely. All right, well, thank you very much, Ariza. I really appreciate you talking to me today and good luck with everything. I, I really hope that the uh, puppy caring and training is exactly what you need long-term too. Absolutely. Thank you so much and, and keep up the good work with the podcasts. I look forward to, the, uh, to, to, to hearing other people. Oh, thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you've got any questions or you would like to be a guest, Email me at throughahandlerseyes at gmail.com. Bye.